Welcome to Politicus, the only podcast that discusses politics and public service from the Portuguese-American perspective. Here we discuss everything from federal policy, local issues, and U.S.-Portugal relations with the goal of driving more discussion and awareness of the issues affecting our nation, our community, and what we as Portuguese-Americans can do about it. And now, Politicus. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Politicus. My name is Angela Simos, and I'm here with my co-host, Denise Borges. Hi, Denise. How are you? Fine. How are you? So excited for this podcast. Yes, I'm very, very excited. Uh, we have Richard Pombo on the line today, and um, I'll share my little story when we when he comes on the line in a bit. But yeah, and I'm very excited. So welcome, Richard, to the Politicus podcast. Thank you. It's great to be on with you. So for those of you who don't know Richard. Does he really need an introduction? I know. I mean, if you're from <laughs> California, especially, you probably know him. But um, Let's do one anyway, yeah. Former former congressman, and you're going to tell us about your path to get there. But now you're a partner at Gavel Resources, which is a consulting and lobbying firm in Washington, D.C. And I just want to give my quick little story. So... Richard, your first congressional campaign was my first campaign that I ever worked on, in, and I was in high school. So I, yep. my friends and I were making phone calls for lawn signs and support and things like that, and I will never, ever forget that. It was very impressionable at the time. So uh, I will always remember that. And you actually came to one of my fundraisers because I was running for Luzo Queen <laughs> at the time. <laughs> Um, so we go way back and, um, so I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. So welcome. Well, thank you. And that first campaign was, was a lot of fun. It was very, very grassroots. I know your parents got involved and you got involved and I had people up and down the valley that were making phone calls for me and walking precincts and it's about as, the, as much of a grassroots campaign as you could ever run. <laughs> I, I remember that. Yeah, my dad was quite involved. Uh, so it was really amazing. So why don't you give us a little bit of background about how you first became interested in running for office? And did you hold an office before running for Congress? Tell us a little bit about your path and how you got there. Well, I, I was not necessarily one of those guys that, that grew up wanting to be in politics. Nobody in my family had ever been in in office before elective office at any level and so it really wasn't something that we you know as as a family had ever been involved with um there were always you know political discussions over at the dinner table talking about what was going on in the country or the world and you know i was always interested in my parents and what they had to say and their take on things so i i had an interest in in history and in politics because of that, but it wasn't something I grew up wanting to get involved with. Uh, as you know, Angela, my family's a, a farm family from the Central Valley of California. I grew up on a on a cattle ranch, mm -hmm. and I assume that's what I was going to do for the rest of my life, was, was to grow up on the ranch and stay there and raise my children there, which I have. I, my kids live on the ranch, and were raised uh, on the cattle ranch like I was. But in the mid to late 80s, I started getting involved with the, the private property rights movement, protecting the, the rights of farmers that were being regulated to death. And 
not able to use their land the, the way that they thought was best. So I started getting involved with that. And one, you know, over time, I used to say we need to get more people elected to office. So we have people that that see the world from our point of view. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. somebody finally told me, well, why don't you run? And I was young and, and dumb enough to think I could could win. And I first ran for the city council in my hometown and was elected in, in 1990. And then a year later, I announced I was running for Congress and ended up being elected to the U.S. House of Representatives in 1992. I mean, that's a huge jump from city, <laughs> city councilman to congressman. Talk about that transition. And I also, you mentioned something that is something that we talk about here on Politicus all the time and, and why we have this podcast and why we do what we do, encouraging people to get involved. And that was, you, you said, we need more people in office that see things from our perspective and we'll fight for what we want. And that's exactly what we're trying to, to accomplish here and get the Portuguese community to understand is that why do we need more Portuguese Americans in office so that people that have our point of view and have our best interests at heart are in office and will fight for us. So I'm so glad that you, you mentioned that aspect of, you know, that was one of your reasons for getting into office, but um, yeah, talk about going from Tracy city council to U.S. congressman. That had to have been insane. Yeah, it it was. I mean, it was a huge jump. Um, It was not something I was necessarily prepared for. The only time I had ever been to Washington uh, previously, I was in, when I was in high school, the Future Farmers, I was part of a trip back to Washington with the Future Farmers when I was a junior in high school. And that was the only other time I'd ever been to Washington. So after I was elected, I, you know, jumped on a plane and came back to Washington and and uh, began the process of, of transitioning into becoming a member. And doing that, it you know, I was young, as I said, and I was the youngest, the youngest member of Congress at that time. Oh, wow. Really? Uh, yeah, and I was 31 years old, and the average age of of my class, which was 114 new members, was 58. So there was a big difference, and most people around the Capitol thought I was a, a staffer. They thought I was a <laughs> member of somebody's staff, and so it was, you know, it was a big transition just getting in to do that. But one thing that stuck out in my mind, talking about getting more more Portuguese Americans involved in politics and how important it is. When I first got elected, I was, I had a little party in my office on the day that we were sworn in and the Portuguese ambassador came in and I had, and to meet me and, and talk to me. And I thought it was really neat that, you know, he would come, the ambassador from Portugal would come to my office to meet with me. And, I later found out it was because I was the only the only person of Portuguese descent serving in Congress at that time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's why he made a special effort to come and, and meet me and talk to me. So, you know, it, it gave me an opportunity to see just how important that was. And, and over the time that, that I spent there, I developed a relationship with him and, and was able to 
to work and, and be, I guess, a, a conduit for a, a number of different issues that were important, not just to Portuguese Americans, but to Portugal itself. When you were in Congress, obviously you were the only Portuguese American for a while there, because then you know it's been it was a few years since uh, the current uh, class of Portuguese Americans were elected to Congress, and uh, and prior to that, Dennis Cardoso, etc. I know that you did quite a bit of work also with Palcas and also with setting up the caucuses and the Friends. And tell us a little bit about how that whole process went, being that you were kind of the only one there for a while. Yeah, and when we put together the the Portuguese caucus, I was at the time the only member of Congress who, that was of Portuguese descent, but Patrick Kennedy uh, at the time represented Rhode Island, which has a, a large Portuguese population. There were others who, who had large Portuguese populations within their districts that we were able to, to get, convince them to become members of the caucus. And it allowed us to put together a, a decent bipartisan group of of members who were willing to advocate on on behalf of issues that were important to the community. Expanding on that, what was the original? Uh, you know, it might be obvious, but what was the original purpose or goal? What you know, what was your selling point for establishing the caucus? And then, how did that also translate into forming the Friends in the Senate? Uh, did you have anything to do with that? Yeah, and it, it the original purpose was, you know, in sitting down with with the ambassador, we had a number of issues like the the visa waiver issue mm-hmm. where Portugal was treated differently than other European countries. We had the tax treaty issue. There were a lot of things that were hanging out there that no one had ever addressed. And I knew as a freshman member that it was going to be difficult, you know, for me by myself to be able to to motivate those issues, and then later on, as a member of Congress, it it just needed a, a bipartisan group to get behind some of these different issues. You know, when we talked about immigration, when you know there were a lot of different things that impacted the Portuguese community in in this country and their ability to deal with with back home. So we kind of went back and forth on all these different issues. And then finally, we, when we put the caucus together, it gave us an opportunity to work with a, a more unified voice and a, and a louder voice to work on behalf of those issues. You know, it's, it was interesting to me that you had different uh, ethnic communities within the United States. Um, there are more Portuguese Americans than there are Greek Americans, and yet we had nowhere near the the political power that mm-hmm. the Greek Americans had. And it, it gave us an opportunity to, to raise our voices and to have a, a greater political impact because of that. And why do you, why do you think that is the whole, you know, even though we have more, but there are more Portuguese than there are, are Greek Americans, but yet the Greeks have more political power. Why do you, why do you think that is? Well, part of it, I think, is is quite frankly cultural. You know, most Portuguese Americans are are hardworking mm-hmm. people that keep their nose down and do their wanna, job or run their business. And, yep, mm-hmm. yep. They don't want to get get in, involved with things because, you know, I think it's cultural back to to Portugal and and different things that happen and different reasons why they left they left and came to the United States to begin with and. 
you know, I think that because of that, they're less likely to be involved. The way, if you look at the Portuguese Americans who have been elected to Congress, for the most part, it's it's all from the Central Valley of California, mm-hmm. and that may not be the the highest percentage of of Portuguese residents, Portuguese American residents, but it's they have become more politically active coming out of California. Even somebody like uh, Senator Nighthorse Campbell, uh, who mm-hmm. was elected to the Senate from from Colorado, was actually born in California. And you know, he came out of out of California and, and ended up moving to Colorado and, and got involved in politics there. But for for whatever reason, we have had a much more active community in California than most of the rest of the country. And you make a very good point when you mention exactly in that, uh, of course, you know, the history. I mean, it's uh, it, it was tough for many Portuguese Americans, as you said, because uh, they were here to work hard to build, you know, whatever they could for themselves and their families. And they had come from a country that had no political culture, you know, for 50 years because of, uh, of the situation there. And prior to that, it was, you know, uh, turmoil. And, 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 uh, and of course, uh, prior to that, the Kingdom of Portugal. But when you mentioned that there are quite a few Portuguese Americans, but yet not enough to kind of tilt an election, obviously. So when you ran for Congress yourself, I mean, Tracy has, you know, in that area has quite a few Portuguese Americans, but obviously you had to build coalitions with other ethnic groups. Yeah, absolutely. I I credit the Portuguese community, Portuguese American community in, in California, with playing a, a very large role in in my first election and my ability to to be elected to begin with. Because even people who didn't live directly in my district mm-hmm. were very supportive of me. They they worked on my campaign. They donated money. They they were extremely involved in my campaign and you know whether they were democrat republican it it didn't matter they they saw a value in having a portuguese american elected to congress so they were very involved but it's not a large enough percentage of voters on its own but it does mm-hmm. play mm-hmm. a role correct correct but you know uh, most portuguese americans such as yourself and the current three that are you know in congress uh, david Valadong and deva nunes and of course uh, jim cost as well you know it's interesting how they've and they all have this uh, commonality as you mentioned being from the valley as you are and also uh, ha- being able to you know tap into the portuguese american community while building you know coalitions with different communities uh, throughout the valley that seems to be kind of the secret yeah, it it does and but you know we have we have areas of the country where they have a higher percentage of population but they have not been successful mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in in electing uh members of congress and I would love to see a portuguese american coming out of of Massachusetts or Rhode Island or some of the the areas where there there's a high concentration of of portuguese americans and in fact, I I spent time campaigning and and going into to Massachusetts with different state assembly races, state mm-hmm. house races, mm-hmm. and stuff to to campaign for guys to get you know to try to build them up and and get more involvement out of it. So I would love to see that happen and not not just be a California 
Sure, sure. Uh, a California thing. Yeah, we just had our first uh, from Massachusetts, a young lady, Lori Loredo Trahan, who has identified as Portuguese American. But that's been that's been such a uh, as you said, it's it's been a work for many many years or decades. W- one other uh, aspect of the Portuguese American community, the community is of course much different than it was in 1992, especially here in California, as the community becomes much more Americanized, let's put it that way, because immigration has ceased from Portugal just about uh, to 0.0 in the, in, in the last few years, especially in the last 20 years. And as people become, of course, more American and, and more integrated, do you feel that part of this trend that has happened more in California than other parts of the, of the country has been because really in the Valley, the community has always been part of the whole entire state. In other words, we've integrated really well. Do you think that's part of this, the reason why we've been able to participate a little bit more in, in politics? I, I think that I think that's part of it. I think that the uh, uh, such a high percentage of the people who immigrated into California started businesses and and became recognized as as successful businessmen um, has has helped. You know, there are a lot of large agricultural operations which are, are Portuguese-owned, Portuguese-American-owned. I think that that has a certain stature to it and, and helps in in the political world in, in getting them involved uh, with things. And also, the Portuguese community in California is is close within them within themselves they are culturally close and and have stayed that way mm-hmm. but they have integrated in and become very important parts of of California's economy Let's talk a little bit about the visa waiver and tax treaty that you worked on uh, when you first got into office. Explain a little bit about what each one of those were and why it was important to push those through. And are they still relevant today? I, mean, I think they are, but I think there's still, it's a lot, it's kind of a vague thing for people when they hear visa waiver and tax treaty, like what exactly does that mean and, and how is it relevant? Well, at the, at the time, there were, were only two countries in Europe, in Western Europe, that that did not have a visa waiver where you had to go and and obtain go to the embassy and obtain a wa- uh, waiver a visa to go into uh, the United States and and the two countries were were Portugal and Greece and obviously it was seen as a a slight or or somewhat of an insult by the Portuguese government that they weren't treated the same as Spain or or the United Kingdom or France or anybody else. And that was a, a somewhat symbolic but important issue uh, in the relationship between Portugal and the United States. And it was one of the issues that I took on. We were able to, to get that uh, so that people could could freely go back and forth from Portugal, just as they could from from just about every other European country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the time, it was seen as a uh, as an important uh, step forward. The relationship between Portugal and the United States has always been very strong. Portugal has always supported the the United States in at the United Nations. They've been a, a consistent and strong ally for for many many decades and. Uh, it's important that, that that relationship stay there and, and, and remain a strong relationship. And there was no reason for them to be singled out and not treated the same way as our as our other allies in Western Europe. So mm-hmm. we were able to get that done. 
later on we had the tax treaty, uh, which basically allows a person who has income to pay taxes just in in one country and not have to to pay taxes and be treated differently. Um, I found out when I was elected, first elected, that this was an issue that had been a subject of negotiations with the State Department and the Department of Treasury with Portugal since before I was even born. And oh, wow. they were still negotiating on that on that issue. And with the help of others like Barney Frank and and some of the members of the, the Portuguese caucus, we were able to to get that issue through and and to have the tax treaty um, signed and, and finally move forward and have have them treated equally as to, to how other Western European countries were were being treated. And, and both of those issues are still relevant today because it still affects people today, right? So like from the visa waiver, I mean, that enables people to come visit for Portugal. And so like if, if somebody's coming for a wedding or for a funeral or whatever, you know, they can hop on a plane and come over. There's not a delay and you know, there, there's not a fear of missing an event, right? So it's, it allows yeah. for your travel even to this day. And I will say when 9-11 happened, I think all countries in the visa waiver program were kind of up for review, right? And the United States was thinking about uh, revoking some status from some countries. And, and again, this is where the establishment of the caucus and the friends in the Senate the caucus in the House and the friends in the Senate, there with this is where, you know, the fact that we had them already established played a really important role because we were able to to rally their support to say no, Portugal has to stay in the visa waiver program. You can't revoke that status. So that's why it is important to have these groups and just getting people to understand that I think is is important because it's it seems like a very nebulous concept to people and they don't quite get it. So laying it out you know, explaining it, I think is really important. And the tax treaty is also very relevant today. So there are more and more people are getting dual citizenship or, you know, have businesses there or property there. And now they're only, you know, required to pay taxes one place that they're not going to get taxed twice. So it still has, is very relevant today, right? Yeah, it absolutely, absolutely is. And when it comes to um, to immigration and, and the visa waiver, and it, you know, those are issues that that are always kind of in flux and they're always, you know, based on, on the politics of the day or the events of the day, they always look, relook at issues like that. So that, that's one of those issues that you kind of always have to stay on top of every time they start to talk about, you know, whether to, to change the status of particular countries. It's just something you always have to stay on top of. Mm -hmm. And as far as the tax treaty, you just want Portugal to be treated the same way as as other allies and other Western European countries, and whatever whatever's fair is the way it should work for for all of our allies. Agreed. One quick question, uh, if I may, uh, Congressman, uh, from all your involvement in, in, of course, in the political world and, and your involvement in uh, serving in Congress and now uh, in, in the process you know, of getting people elected uh, to Congress, 
the Portuguese American community, as you know, as we've been talking about, has, has been changing. You know, people are more into education now than they were maybe 30, 40 years ago. People um, have always been very successful business-wise. I concur wholeheartedly with you, even though those who came from Portugal with little or no education, it's, it's just amazing how much they built, you know, for themselves and for this country as, uh, as, as they immigrated to America. But now that we're talking about, you know, their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren in a lot of cases, and people are becoming more and more into getting a degree or getting you know, some kind of an, an education, whether it be technical or academic, what would be your advice to young Portuguese Americans who are listening to the podcast and who may be thinking of doing uh, something innovative such as Richard Pombo did in 1992? <laughs> well, my, my best advice that I would give is that start getting involved with, with politics at the local level. Start, start engaging in local campaigns. And, and learning the way that, that the process works, you know, what you have to do. It's, it's always important to have, have life examples, you know, life experience, things that, that affect how you feel about things or what your positions are, your opinions. I have very strong opinions and, and very strong beliefs and, and mostly because of where and where I was raised and how I was raised and, and the good fortune of having a great family. But, you know, everybody needs those, those experiences and, and experiences in life and start getting involved with campaigns. I would run, if somebody really wants to get involved, I would run for a local office, whether it be, you know, a, a school board or a, a city council like I did. And, and, have that experience and, and see if it's something you really want to do because it's it's a lot different when it's your name on the ballot and you have people criticizing you or people mm -hmm. that really uh, dislike you that you've never met and you know it's it is a different experience but it's something that that I would encourage people to get involved to to find out if it's really something they want to do. And, you know, Devin, Devin Nunes was on the school board before he ran for Congress. I mean, he, he went from, from a community college district board to, to being a member of Congress. I went from being on the city council of a small town to being a member of Congress. Uh, you know, that, that working your way in and, and getting that taste of it and, and whether or not that's something you really want to do with your life, you know, for a lot of people, it may, they may just want to um, get involved in and support others, but we do need people from the Portuguese community that are willing to run, that are willing to put their name on the ballot and work and, and get elected. And you mentioned something there that if you can comment as well, a little bit more on it, not everybody's going to make it to Congress. Not everybody wants to be maybe even a congressman or at a national level, but it's, uh, it, you know, it used to be said as, uh, I think it was Tip O'Neill used to say the famous line, you know, all politics is local. But how important is it for Portuguese Americans, even if they have no desire to go to a national campaign or a national level, to be involved in school boards and community college boards like Devon was and like John Pedroso is now from Merced and, and many others? How do you take that, you know, someone who gets Portuguese Americans in, in, and, and someone who's involved in politics all these years, what would you say to those who are thinking at a local level? Is it still as important as it once was? It it absolutely is, and and one thing that people don't realize is that your local uh, your local 
elected offices, your city council, your board of supervisors, your school boards, those have much more of an an impact on people's day-to-day lives than Congress does. Congress is seen as you know, this this big federal position. But quite frankly, your local city council or, or board of supervisors has a much bigger impact on your life than than Congress does because it's it's day to day. When you look at a a, a school board race, um, there's nothing more important than than your kids' education and the people who make the biggest decisions that impact your children's education are serving on a school board. You know, a decision like, you know, for a Portuguese American, a decision like is Portuguese going to be offered as a, a language, a second language class in, in school? You know, there's issues like that that you can have an impact on. There are issues that, that really do affect people and and make a difference. You know, mm-hmm. Portu- Portuguese is a, a widely spoken uh, language throughout the world. It's one of the biggest uh, largest spoken languages around the world, and yet in most of our schools, they don't. It's not even an option to teach that. Mm-hmm. Correct. You hit the nail on the head with some with <laughs> exactly an issue that we talk about so often, which is the Portuguese language. And you're absolutely right. Unless we have our our own advocates um, in public office to to push for us and to push to have Portuguese offered, it's never going to happen. So you, yeah. you hit the nail on the head with that one. And, and things have been changing. Our latest, uh, not probably fully correct because of, uh, of people's names changes and things like that. But uh, in this election, 82 Portuguese Americans, we identified 82 Portuguese Americans in California that ran for office and 55 of them got elected. And so um, right now, you know, at all sorts of uh, different levels from school boards to Congress, we have over 125 Portuguese Americans elected. But, you know, there's there's quite a few thousands of us, so we have a way to go. But it's it's a good step, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, my my old congressional district, one of my former staff members, Marla Sousa Livingood, was was the Republican candidate on the ballot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was very proud of that for a lot of reasons that, that she ran and, you know, she was not successful, but she ran and she ran a good campaign. Oh, that's awesome. So we just have a few minutes left. We want to hear about what you're doing now with Gavel Resources. Tell us a little bit about your work there and, and how did that, how did you transition from, you know, Congress and did you jump right into Gavel Resources or did you do other things? No, I I actually, after after I left Congress, I went home, uh, moved back back to Tracy and stayed there. And then a few years ago, a couple of my former staff members were working on um, the at the time the farm bill, and they asked me if I would be willing to come back and and help them representing some of their clients, uh, agricultural clients, and and I did it. And what grew out of that was was Gavel Resources, and we are a, a government relations firm. We do lobbying, we do uh, public affairs. A lot of of what we do is is related directly to agriculture or the resource issues because of of my background in Congress and and the issues that I I worked on. So you know it kind of just grew out of that, and now we have a, a seven person firm that uh, that works on a number of different issues from defense issues and foreign policy issues to 
uh, energy and, and agriculture. So it's just something that kind of grew out of a conversation I had a few years ago. And now, now we're, uh, I split my time between, between Washington and California. And what are, what are some of the, um, well, as I was gonna say, what are some of the issues, but I think it, maybe a better question would be, would you say that, you know, getting right into, like if somebody doesn't want to run for Congress or run for a public office, but they, they do want to get into the advocacy work, is getting into to lobbying something that's possible? Like, can you go straight into a consulting firm? they do that. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And and what what it involves is, you know, knowledge of of certain topics, you know, certain issues that, you know, one of the things that that we do a lot on is is in the energy sec- sector. It's everything from getting pipelines approved that that cross public land or or federal land somewhere. We spend a lot of time on on issues that are directly related to the energy world, but I also have have clients like Native American tribes across the country. Uh, in fact, one of the ones I'm working with right now is from Massachusetts, uh, the Mashpee, which are the the original Thanksgiving Day Indian tribe, and they have a, an issue with land, uh, having land taken into trust for a, a reservation. And I've been working with them on, on that. And it's kind of funny because of the, the intermarriages and, and everything else, a, a number of their tribal members have Portuguese sur- surnames. So yeah, it just <laughs> kind of goes around. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then uh, you're going to continue your work with Gavel Resources, but what, uh, what uh, anything in the future, anything planned? that you'd like to share? No, I mean, I, I don't really have a, a desire to run run for office again. I, I get my opportunity to, to participate in policy and, and to work on on issues that I think are important in, in the political world. So I'm happy doing, I'm happy doing that. My kids are, are all growing up now and, and out of the house. So it gives me more flexibility to to travel and do things like this. So I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying life. Well, and you have an influence without having to run a, a campaign. Those are getting quite expensive <laughs> nowadays. <aren't they? laughs> yeah, you're exactly right. <laughs> David Valadeo mentioned to me that he, he just got elected and he says, believe it or not, two days later, I'm going to start campaigning again for the next two years. It's kind of a crazy but that's the way it is nowadays yeah well when you're a member of the house and and you run every two years that's a, yeah. that's absolutely right you never really stop campaigning you never have a chance to 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 sure. stop and and do that but mm-hmm. it's all part of it and it's the way our founding fathers designed it to be correct well, this has been great. I think uh, we covered a lot of topics. And you've you've done so much, and I, I hope that people will look to your your career as as inspiring, and uh, that we have inspired a few more people to get involved in the political process uh, in some way, shape, or form. Even if that's you know, like myself, when you're in high school and you're you're working a campaign and making some phone calls or stuffing envelopes or something, just to get involved. Um, but so, thank you very much for your time, Richard, uh, Congressman. Well, thank- Thank you. Really happy to have you. you. Appreciate it very much. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much for having me. I'd love to do it again sometime.
We will. Well, will for sure. And thanks everybody out there for listening in and, and uh, sticking with us for this episode. And if you haven't hit subscribe yet, please do. Please also leave us a review on iTunes. It will actually help people find us. Uh, we are the only podcast that discusses politics from a Portuguese point of view. So uh, let's help to spread the word about Politicus and get more people listening so we can have uh, more and better conversations about Portuguese in, in politics. And uh, with that, we'll say thanks everybody and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Politicus, the official podcast of Palcus, the Portuguese American Leadership Council of the United States. Palcus is the premier national organization representing the interests of the Portuguese American community at large. To learn more about Palcus and how to become a member or to make a donation, visit www.palcus.org. To submit feedback or suggestions about the podcast, email us at palcus at palcus.org. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the show are not endorsed by Palcus. Palcus.